This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Gosh, this song is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Who is this? This is like oh, right. heaven. Now, welcome to the Bad Christian Podcast, everybody. Woo. And yes, that was a, uh, you know what? Let's just go ahead and keep that music. I was just, we were, our engineer Brett was just using that as a placeholder until we selected uh, some new funny, you know, music to play in there on the intro. But you know what? I love hearing that. It's my favorite Emory song. Yeah, so apparently, let's Engineer Brett is one of the greatest DJs in the history of the world yes, so far. Is. I mean, yeah. I'm very proud of your selection. I'm proud of you and the man that you are right now for playing that selection, Engineer Brett. <laughs> okay, so we've got Mark LaFay live today. Are you there, Mark? I'm here. Great. All right. Okay, so let me give everybody, I'm sure our episode description says who Mark LaFay is and all that kind of stuff, but I don't know if anybody reads those, so I'm going to explain who Mark is. Uh, right now, Mark is the is a music business dude. He's a manager that we met in, I imagine, 2004. It was before The Week's End came yeah. out, and he was managing and representing Haste the Day. Uh, he's a real hands-on DIY kind of guy that, from, from the old school scenes from Indianapolis, and he's been in the music business and done tons of different things outside and inside of the music business. He's kind of an entrepreneur. Uh, not yep. kind of, he is one, but uh, has a similar background to us, and we've been through our whole career kind of parallel to him and Haste the Day and been very involved over time. And Mark also lives diagonally across the street from Dave Powell, our drummer, in Indianapolis. So, Mark, if I've left anything else about you out, or is that pretty um, much it? Nah, yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that's most of it. I'm also very good looking. No, wow. no, that's not that, that. That wasn't on my notes. I don't have that. I can't yeah. ver- verify that. No, my wife says humble. I am. <laughs> well, my, hey, I'm just, I'm just parenting, parroting what my wife says. <laughs> no, Mark, you also did just had a baby recently as well. Your first one. Yeah, we did. Harvey. Yeah, he's huge. So welcome to the club. There. No, I forgot. There's something else, and I, I don't think Toby and Joey know this about you, Mark. But Mark, if you follow his Instagram, you would know it. But Mark is way into food stuff and smoking meats and curing bacon yeah, and doing stuff like. Have you seen that stuff of his on online? Yeah, I sure Toby? have. I remember we were on tour one time, and Mark wanted us to bring his uh, a smoker behind our bus, and we could sell meat. We could sell pork <laughs> outside the shows. And what's hilarious is. Now, that's he entrepreneur. Present, and he presented it to us because we're crazy enough to think that idea like is it. amazing, and I love <laughs> it. I wish to God we could do that. What was the idea well, there, Mark? What was your idea about pulling a smoker behind our van and trailer or bus or whatever? <laughs> Pull pork sandwich with the purchase of every ticket. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a T-shirt, get some mac and cheese. I mean, that, it just it makes sense. Would that totally. have been pretty easy to do, though? Like, what is you? We could have towed it, and then... Would we we we'd have just would have had like maybe a special meet and group? Maybe we'd have just sold them so anybody that's waiting in line could have came and got a sandwich for seven dollars or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, seven bucks. Get a plate. We'd be flipping clamshells all afternoon. Oh man, it'd be amazing. Now the only thing I, I always questioned was: is there like in like between each state, like taking food and cooking food in each state? Would you have to pay some kind of weird tax, or would be, would that get weird? So maybe you could pull it off like a this is a VIP that includes a meal. Right, yeah. that probably could work. Something like that. Yeah. So you're not uh, necessarily, yeah, you're not selling yeah, the food. You're selling the event or something yeah. like that. It, it, yeah, you're selling access. Yeah, I like. I look, plus, I mean, I, I, here's the thing. I'm, I'm always jealous of people. Like Dave tells us stories, Mark, where he'll, he'll he's over at your house and you you say, "Hey, come down to my basement." You have like unbelievable <laughs> meats in your basement, like curing <laughs> and making them and all the stuff. Uh, yeah. And I'm always so jealous of that because it takes. I don't know if it's just a certain type of person or whatever, but it really does. It, it's interesting to me that somebody could have care that much detail in that. Like, I love that. I wish I could. Like, I, I don't have that patience. And do you think yeah. that's just part of your personality? Like, no. like, whatever you do, whether it be the music business or literally like curing ham or whatever it might be, bacon or whatever, like, it, it, it takes an amount of patience and not seeing the result immediately, right? 
Yeah, I. You know what? It's not part of my uh, my personality because I am probably one of the more impatient people I know. So I don't really understand why I enjoy doing it or am decent at doing it uh, because I like results immediately. But I tell you, there is there is a benefit to uh, having to wait so long to be able to reap, you know, the the rewards of something like that, you know. So yeah, I don't know if it's you just appreciate it more or, or what. That and I think there's also a level of exclusivity there. So, I mean, how many people do you know uh, make their own, um, you know, bacon or do their own barbecuing in a smoker they built, you know, with a buddy of theirs and it's sitting on a trailer? You know what I mean? Like it's just there's not a lot of people that do that, and so I think that. I think part of part of that also just intrigues me is just to be able to know how to do it. But I've also, I feel like my whole life I've always been fascinated about or by, you know, how things work. And uh, this is, I, I don't mean this to be a segue, but that's, I mean, that really was, you know, how I got into music. Because I remember the first day that, uh, the first concert that I promoted when I was, you know, 18 years old, I, I was always curious, um, you know, how do concerts work, right? How does the band get here? How do, who sells the tickets, who gets the people here, all that kind of stuff. And um, that was actually why I got into to concert promotion, which was my, my entree in the music business was I was just curious about how that whole process worked. And so I think my curiosity yeah. ultimately is what got me into barbecue and all that other stuff. Well, let's too, talk so. about being a promoter because that's the one, I think the weirdest thing in the music business. And we were having a discussion on our tour recently, like who in the world wants to be a promoter? This is a terrible bad job like it, you have every all the risk is on you financially you have to do all this stuff and tons of shows lose money and it's super stressful and most of the promoters that you meet are just kind of flaky and weird anyway i just don't understand out of all the things to do in the music business that seems like the weirdest one tell tell us about being a promoter what's the deal with that yeah well you know when i got into it it was it was 2001 2002 i'd seen like a sold out less than jake show or something like that and and I remember thinking it was the coolest thing on the planet. And, um, and there wasn't really, like there was one guy that was doing shows, this guy named Jason McCash. And, uh, and he did it for so long that he lost enough money where he was just like, screw this, yeah, I'm but not going to do saying, it anymore. Isn't it always a money losing thing in the long run for promoters? Unless you get to Live Nation or something, I don't know. Well, I mean, not, it's, so it's high risk, right? So, I mean, if, if it were a guaranteed way to make money, everybody would do it. So, yeah. you know, the, the guys that lasted and, and were able to, to make a living off it are the guys that got smart and figured out ways to do things better, found ways to make additional money aside from just ticket sales. I mean, I definitely took my knocks. I mean, there, you know, there were definitely times where I lost, I lost money. I mean, the first show I ever did, I lost money, you know, but it was, it was just my, I took a crack at it. I learned a lot of lessons and I figured out what not to do. And then, you know, you improve the process and you keep going. Um, and then it, then it becomes a numbers game. Well, Mark, who do you think, since you've done all these different things and been involved with both labels, releasing stuff, manager, promoter, tour managing, who do you think is the, 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 like the, the slimiest or the worst people in the whole music business chain? Well, what, you know, I mean... I, <laughs> what do you think's the low man? Because we had Mike Mowry, a manager, on. We were busting his balls about managers being, you know, uh, whatever. Being, be, what were we saying they were? I don't, want, I don't know what the word I was using for, but the, you know, the most slimiest want people they can be at least guitarists, not guitarists. <laughs> like Matt, <laughs> you get it, Toby? Yeah, Toby, you get it. <laughs> Yeah, all I can think about is the gain level on that laugh. <laughs> Sorry, Julie. <laughs> uh, I had to do something because these questions are killing me. It's interesting to music people. Yeah, man, I was going to say, you kind of you kind of jumped ahead. Like Joey's eyes, and, and he kind of even started sweating a little bit when we were talking about like curing meats and stuff like that and food. And then you moved right on. And Mark, I mean, you didn't let Mark talk about that. So anyway, get back to the slimy people in the music industry. Sorry. <laughs> Bacon, sausage. I tell you what, you know, the... Hey, by I the way, it's good to meet you, man. I'm Joey. Uh, Joey, we met. It's fine if you don't remember me. <laughs> when did y'all meet? I don't remember. Uh, it, was on, it was on the road somewhere. I was at a festival or... Was, did I have kidney stones or was I majorly depressed? Yeah, probably both. Probably both. <laughs> no, seriously, think, like where, where would it have been when we were at Dave's house? It, it, I don't know. Maybe. I know we well, met. I, I couldn't I apologize, tell, man, I, man. I feel like a... Piece of doggy duty. No, no. It's okay. Thanks. Can we get back to the interview? You're trying to hijack this thing. I'm not trying to hijack it. I'm trying to meet a new friend. But well, it's not new anymore. Have you added <laughs> me on was. Facebook? <laughs> All right. 
All right. Well, yes. You know, I mean, I, I've run into to, um, uh, to people that I would say we could check that box for um, in all lines. I would say consistently, though, it's not necessarily somebody that's in a role, but I would say probably the slimiest people I've worked with have, have been people that have been that have perpetrated themselves as uh, as Christians or pastors. Ah, so those, a curveball. Those, Damn. Wow. Hey, Joey, Boom. we're back into your territory. Are you parking yeah, up we're back, now? Right we're right back about in these, it, We're talking about you slimeball, sleazy preachers with your money. Yeah, hey, he yeah. said a perpetrating pastor. You I'm are not a perpetrating, perpetrating pastor. pastor. You, only remember, no, you only remember people that line your pockets. Yeah, Joey. you are a perpetrator, my friend. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> that's well, so weird. Thank you, Mark. No, Mark, not, thank you. Somebody had to say it. Yeah, I know. I See, that's, that's why I know Joey. No, I... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and again, you know, I don't, I'm not making a generalized statement or a blanket statement, but just consistently, if I were to say where have we, where have I had the most uncomfortable moments, um, during my tenure in the business, I would say that it was interfacing with people that professed, uh, openly professed. Um, mm. and, and, and even in, even in doing a, doing deals, I mean, like all the deals that I've been involved with as far as on the record side, the worst deals I've seen have been. From Christian record labels. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if that's just uh, symptomatic of, of that, that aspect of the business. Well, see, or... what, you have to understand, what you have to understand is that the record owner is kingdom-minded, and he knows that <laughs> if he doesn't give that money, if he gives all that money to the bands, then God won't be able to use it as much because he's the wisest. So it's all about kingdom. Okay, go ahead. Right. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> Joey, what's your point? What's your point of view hearing that from the outside of the business? Is that surprising to an outsider? It doesn't surprise me, man. I hate Christians. Okay. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> hey, you know what? Me too. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. Well, well the, I think the problem is whenever you mix those things when you mix business with christianity it's going to get weird because i mean some like i don't know sometimes there's business tactics that could even be considered really intense or ruthless that might not even be sinning but also it can be really bad and it and mark i think you're right a lot of times christian labels or christian folks are trying to get a deal or whatever it might be and it's not the best way to do it like it would rather make yeah. the money than take the hit or whatever that might be it's probably people well, using christianity as a way to like uh disarm people to take advantage of them i'm not saying all christians do that and mark's not saying that either but the ones that are the most right. overt about their righteousness are probably using that as a maybe a tactic and, and and this isn't all. I mean, we can't. I mean, we wouldn't. I wouldn't generalize and say every Christian label just, or anything. Yeah, I'm like talking ninety nine percent, just ninety nine point. And yeah, and, and also, I'm assuming probably most people are inferring that since you know our band was on Tooth and Nail, and Mark, you've worked with Haste Today, that's on Tooth and Nail. That we're talking about Tooth and Nail. I don't know if you are, but our experience was actually pretty decent on Tooth and Nail. I, I, like we've always said that they've treated us really well. Now I don't know if you want to say that you weren't treated well by them. Man, you want to just say that? We I, mean, I don't know if you ears, want Mark. to say that, but I mean you can say whatever you want to say on this podcast, my no, friends. I, you know, I, I, so here's what I would say. I would say that um, you know, so I I really I have a, a a great respect for for Brandon and for Jim and for Chad Johnson and for a lot of guys that came up through the tooth and nail ranks and went on to do pretty cool things or even went on to just do other things. I have a lot of respect for them. I will say that, you know, the, the original deal that we did with, with tooth and nail was not favorable. And so part of that, you know, is, is just, I think because, you know, at the time the band was unknown, right? We had no other, nothing right. else going on. There was, you know, there wasn't a lot of reason for, for Brandon to really want to get out and, um, and take a chance, you know, with the band. And so I totally get that. So, you know, we negotiated that deal for a year. And I think to this date, we still hold the record for taking the longest amount of time to get through a deal. And, mm-hmm. and so there were some things that went down in the negotiation process that I think, you know, pissed Brandon off and definitely set our relationship at odds very early on. Now, I think that over the years, we've done a good job of, of working through that and having a really solid professional relationship. And uh, I mean, to the point that, you know, we did this most recent campaign you know, we went back and said, hey, let's figure out a way to be able to continue to work together in a way that's mutually beneficial. And, you know, yeah. we went back and in the spirit of, of uh, you know, just trying to, to do a well-rounded deal and do a good thing for everybody involved. And we were able to, to you know, put together a great, uh, you know, working working relationship with the new arrangement and all that good stuff. And so, so you know, I, I don't say that to really 
you know, point them out, but I've done other deals within the Christian market. And it's just, it's, I think it's an unintended uh, byproduct of being a Christian and having a Christian labeled business and attracting Christian musicians or Christian business people. Because what happens is, you know, you have this sort of unconscious uh, assumption that's made. I am a Christian. These people are Christians. These people are only working with Christians. And so therefore, their mission statement aligns with our mission statement. And so therefore, we, they have our best interests in mind. When at the end of the day, yeah. it's a business right. and their bottom line is their best interest. And yes, kingdom focus and all that stuff is also on the agenda. But if you can't have a successful business, you can't do that. You can't see that through. And so I think that what happens is, you know, you have naive people that go into these relationships expecting one thing. And then, you know, when it comes down to actually the letter of the law as opposed to the spirit of the law, you end up feeling like you were taken advantage of when you had, you went, you should have gone into the relationship eyes wide open. And so, yeah. so that statement, you know, in the, in the case of Tooth and Nail is definitely not that at all. I don't, I don't think that I would never tell you, and the band never, would never say that we were taking advantage of or screwed. We knew exactly what we were getting right. into. Yeah, same mean era. That the it was the same we, era. It was same era when we did our record deal. Um, I guess it was exactly the same. That's what's so cool about our career. So I've been meaning to tell you, Mark, bringing up Pace's Eight, congratulations on all the stuff that they've done from their oh, – I mean, no. it, the beginning of their career all the way up to now has been so parallel to ours, like same timing. I mean, we're both on our whatever, probably same record. We both did an Indiegogo. We, it came out on the same day of all things, but congratulations Which is crazy. to you guys. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. Thank it's the you. weirdest you as well. thing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think really we, crazy. I think we feel really happy that this has been able to work out the way it has, and you guys have been uh, been able to benefit and connect directly with your fans and do that stuff too. I love seeing it. We're so glad for all that stuff. And I also want to point out that, Mark, you were the first person that I ever talked to, that we ever talked to or encountered that really predicted big things for our band, more so than the label. In 2003, before our record came out and you had heard it, you told us that you asked us, we went to Waffle House after a show before the record was out, and you said, how many records do you think we'll, y'all are going to sell? And we said some number, like, I don't know, 10,000, 20,000, whatever. And you said, 80. You're going to sell 80. And I was like, I thought that, we, yeah. we died laughing. We thought that was yeah, the funniest thing that. That, we, that I'd ever heard, that you thought our record would sell 80,000. I didn't even know a number like that was a real number. And uh, nobody at the label talked big like that or said that at all. It was just you, and you were right. Except for... We sold more than that, Mark, so you didn't quite believe enough. <laughs> you were hedging well, your bet, my yeah. friend. Well, maybe that's, why you, maybe that's why you guys never wanted me to manage your band, because I just shot too low. <laughs> I tried, man. I tried. You guys kept snubbing me for years. I was like, when, when are we? Hell, I even found you guys a drummer, and I still couldn't get a crack that's at managing right. you guys. That's right. That's called, right. That's yeah. how Dave Powell ended up in our band because of you. That was just that's so exactly you could get right. our, the management gig. Uh, it was for a lot of things. That was definitely <laughs> a selfless act. Actually, you know what it was? I was really trying to get Dave a uh, a career in music, and I'm like, well, here's a great opportunity. Yeah. Well, I, I remember Dave for that one. Dave's for a long the best. Time for sure. He's yeah. amazing. And he, I, it's funny because I remember um, I remember when that happened oh, very vividly because I remember, Matt, you called me. You're like, Mark, our, dr our drummer's leaving. We need to find a drummer. Do you know of anybody? I'm like, yeah, actually, I got a guy. And so I – I remember hanging up the phone and I was like, Dave, we're going to have to break up the bowels of Judas, but I think this is a better opportunity for you. And I remember he was terrified when oh, yeah. he flew out to meet with you guys. And yeah. then the rest is history. That's right. And now we're neighbors. And now you're neighbors. <laughs> it's really funny too, thinking about that. Cause I, I remember that time and we've talked about this before, but for anybody who hadn't heard this story, I remember thinking I met Dave one time briefly. And I think that was when, Haste the Day and us and Bowels of Judas played at that uh, little record store in Norfolk, Virginia. You remember that? It was like upstairs. I forget the name of that record Relative store. Relative Theory Records. Yeah, Relative Theory Records. And we played there. And I always make fun because I remember thinking Dave was like kind of really nervous and crying, but he says he wasn't crying. <laughs> so kinda, I, knowing him now, I guess he probably didn't cry, but he might just whatever. But uh, it was, I, I remember Matt saying, Yeah, talk to Mark. And he's talking about the drummer from Bowels of Judas is really good. And maybe y'all should use him. And I was like, ah, that, that, I just can't imagine it. Because for us, we were such tight-knit friends. I couldn't imagine some kid from Indiana coming and being our drummer. 
So, right. so, and the only reason, literally, the only reason is because Matt was like, yeah, Mark says that this, this guy's awesome and a good dude and we should try him out. So we flew him out, you know, to, to Seattle. And then obviously the rest of his history, he's been our drummer ever since. Been the longest drummer in Emory. I mean, Seth was our beginning drummer, but, but Dave now. So it's really crazy that that happened. That, uh, Over 10 years it, ago, yeah. Yeah, that's just so wild. But uh, yeah. I want to get back real quick. One one thing, like we're gonna have some questions later. But you were talking about. I don't know if you can speak about this in a general way. What really can help, like even uh, maybe even practically, what can help a band when they're signing a deal? Well, I you know it's funny. Um, you know now that I'm I've moved on and I'm you know working on my own startup. I, I see the I see the world through different lenses. Yeah. Um, you know, and when you're when you're a band, I mean, you're a startup, right? When you're a new band, you're just right. you're this little startup company, and it just so happens that your product is your brand. You know, it's this music, yeah. it's your T-shirts, it's the experience that you're selling at your concerts or wherever it is that you're creating experiences. It's this thing, right? And so, um, you know, when you go to a label, that's the same thing as trying to to secure some sort of investment. Right. So you don't have the money to be able to market the band, just create the product, distribute the product, build an international persona, maybe even go tour around the world to take that, you know, that experience to the masses and all that kind of stuff. So what you have to do is you have to find investment. Right. And so the investment traditionally has been going to a record label. And so what happens is, is that, you know, if you're really in need for the money, that's typically when you are the most likely to sell yourself short. So the, the bands that get the best deals are the bands that don't need the deal. Right. And it's the same way with like a right. startup. The, the, the startups that, that, that are able to raise the money are the, are the startups that don't really need the money. Um, and, and that's just sort of the, the dynamic, yeah. right? So like, right. like if I wanted to go out today and I wanted to go raise $10 million, you know, if I had, you know, let's say in, in my, you know, the startup that I'm working on right now called Rouse, if I were to, if I were to have a million users in our social platform, raising $10 million to be able to go from a million to a hundred million users would be easy, right? Because we've got proof of concept. We know that people believe in what we're doing. They're using it. There's value there. Same thing with bands. It's like, I remember the, 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 just, it just used to grind my gears. You know, you pitch a label and they say, well, give me the stats, right? And so I'd be like, well, we got 20,000 people on our email list. We got, we sold our self-released EP you know, to 4,000 people. We played 180 shows on the road last year. And literally, these were the conversations that I was having with Tooth & Nail. And so for us, I'm like, this is, not a, this is not a big gamble because we've already got an established fan base. We can already prove that there's traction and there's growth, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that's, that's what labels would want to hear because they want to know, all right, if I'm going to throw money into this, which maybe the investment would be fifty or $60,000 back then, for a band our size, like I want to know that I'm going to get that investment back out. And so what, what I find interesting is that, you know, the bands that, that didn't have a lot going on or didn't have enough going on, or there was no other label interested, because really that was the barometer that labels would use, then that would sort of dictate the type of deals that the labels would offer the band. So I think in the case of Haste Today, you know, we had no other options. I mean, we had, I'd shopped the record to Trustkill, Equal Vision, you know, all these other all these other labels and everybody heard the EP and they're like, there's no way that we're going to get behind a band that's this hardcore preachy. And it was a very unique sound, too. And um, and so Tooth & Nail was really the only one that came to the table. And, and it was because of my relationship with Roy Culver. You know, he yeah. and I knew each other because of my our, our experience working together on shows. And so I was booking all these solid state bands in Indianapolis and, you know, I was reporting back, this is what we're doing. Here's the kind of things that we're going. So he believed in me as a manager more so than he did the band. And he'll, I mean, he'll tell you that to this day, he'll tell you that. And so he pushed to get the deal, but there wasn't enough juice for us to be able to leverage. Whereas like when I did the deal for Still Remains over at Roadrunner, um, you know, I had an offer on that. So Roy went to Century Media and he came to me and he's like, I want to sign this band. You write the offer. So we actually wrote our own offer for Still Remains to be on Still Rem- on Century Media, and that was the first. That was our first official offer. Yeah. And then you know, Metal Blade, uh, Prosthetic, I think to a degree was interested. Victory Records, I mean, that was insane with with Tony Brummel, uh, Roadrunner, Solid State. I mean, all these labels were all of a sudden just like we got to sign this band, and so that gave me the juice that I needed to be able to to put a deal together for. Yeah. You know, for Still Remains on Roadrunner, that was, I mean, for, you know, 
I mean, reasonably speaking, it was kind of ridiculous. I mean, there was a lot. I mean, we were talking six figures worth of cash in that deal on the first record. So it's like, so the differences between the two are pretty astounding. So like, you know, it's tough for me to say that labels screw bands because really what I think is bands screw themselves if they don't go into the deals with good counsel and being able to be in a position where they can just say, you know what, screw it. We're just going to walk away because this doesn't fit what we're looking for. Yeah. Sort yeah, of a long winded answer to say that. No, that that's yeah. good. I mean, the thing is now, especially labels have less and less power, and obviously those six figure deals aren't really a thing anymore anyway. So more than ever, what I'm always telling people is, you can do almost everything yourself anyway, and then you need some partners and some people to work with you on it. But you don't you don't need to just say, well, I'm the I'm talented, and then everybody else is going to do everything for me, basically. Right. Well, I think the formula is the same. I don't think that the formula's changed. Right. I think it's just what's changed is. Uh, who controls the formula. So like back in the, you know, pretty much the early part of the of the 21st century, it's kind of funny to say that uh, 15 years ago, um, you know, you went to a label because, you know, you needed distribution still, even though digital was starting to come on the scene. Uh, you needed marketing dollars. You needed support to get on the road. You needed all that stuff. That definitely started to shift. But still, you know, because we have, you know, high-speed internet, because we have unlimited storage because we have digital downloads because we have access to distribution because people aren't buying physical media because it's less about the music and more about the brand and the brand experience yes it makes it makes the barrier to entry lower for musicians that all that means is that there's more uh there's more con, you know congestion out there there's more people doing it and so I think more so than ever, it takes a real team that understands marketing and understands community building to be able to give musicians an edge. I mean, any band can go out there now and can sell 10,000 albums. I mean, that really, at the end of the day, that's not a big deal. You can do it. It may take you a while to do it, but you can do it on your own. So I think that the bands that want to focus on making killer music still need a team. Now, that team could be coming from the management side. It could be coming from the label side because now labels are getting involved on management and tour and merch and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Or if they're just a a savvy band that is very connected and very hands-on themselves, you could do it yourself. But I think that, you know, the method to be able to find success, the the formula to doing that is still very much the same. It's just, you know, because of the tools and the access and the cost to do things nowadays, I think more more musicians are are able to do that on their own. Right Does that on. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mark, we need to take a break here, and then I want to hear about, you mentioned your startup, Rouse. I'd love to hear a little bit about that as you've transitioned into do. I don't know if you're still doing music part-time, full-time, or if this is your full-time gig, but I'm interested in it. I like what you're doing at Rouse. So let's take a break here, and we'll be back and talk about that and do some uh, you know, bad questions from our listeners. Folks, I told you last week, on tour, As Cities Burn and Emery. As Cities Burn is, gonna, is back, and they're going to be playing their whole album, Son, I Loved You at Your Darkest. It's going to be incredible. you got to make it out. I'll tell you where we're going to be. We're going to be in New Orleans, Dallas, San Antonio, Mesa, Arizona, Los Angeles, San Diego, Anaheim, Orangevale, California, and San Francisco, which is also in California. So not only are they playing that old thing, these guys have some new music. Cue the music. Here's some music right now. It's fading up. You can hear it. You can listen to it. We're going to hear part of a song. New As Cities Burn songs. Check this out. That song is called Prince of Planet Earth. They'll be playing it along with their album. Go to ascitiesburn.net. Right now, if you go there, you can get a VIP package, which will get you an exclusive poster, an exclusive T-shirt for that night, an early entry to the show, and you'll be buying the ticket directly from the band. Now, these are limited. Some of them are sold out, so you won't be able to get them. There's some tickets left, some VIP tickets left. 
for some of the shows, so you'll have to go sort that out for yourself. And I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to go ahead right now, and this is for bad Christian listeners only. You get $5 off of that VIP package. And when you go in there and you pay for it, you just enter the promo code BCPOD, and you will get a VIP ticket for $5 off. Go do it today. I'll be there. Emery will be there. I'll see you in the pit. Podcast internships. That's right. Are you experienced in the podcast or music scene? Knowledgeable about digital marketing and advertising sales? Responsible and trustworthy? Up for working on jobs that suit our story and your skills? Experienced in writing online? Does this sound like you? Okay, tell you what. This sounds like I'm reading a script. That's because I am, so forget that. Let me explain to you what's going on here. Our stuff's growing like crazy. We're launching more podcasts. We need some help. We have the opportunity for people that are interested and want to work hard that would like to be remote, unpaid interns and learn this business side of what we do and help with everything from publishing, producing, ad sales. If you have any experience in those things and time to use, this is a good opportunity for you to learn and grow and build a resume. So, Drop us your drop us a line. Go to badchristian.com forward slash internships, and then there you can uh, you know you upload your resume, a letter, uh, maybe a writing sample, links to your work, whatever your experience, your skill is, skills are. Tell us about it there, and we're gonna pick some people out, and we're gonna sign them to certain tasks or shows or things that we've got going on, and we're gonna build some awesome stuff together. So please join us. Apply now at badchristian.com forward slash internships. You'll get to work with me. It'll be fun. Or you might get to work with Joey, and that won't be as fun. And we're back. Yes, we are. (laughs) Okay. Well, Matt, you mentioned it before, but I kind of want, I had the exact same question. Mark, are you still as passionate about music? I mean, that's where you got your start. You were promoting bands and became a manager and all that stuff. And now you have this startup, Ralph's, which I'd like to hear a little bit more about. So what's your passion these days? Well, my pa- my passion's my family, for sure. Good answer. Um, oh, man. I mean, a bit cheesy, yeah. but Get good the answer. hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess, your wife's your best friend, too. Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> oh, come on. Yes, she is. <laughs> That's his bride, um, though. It's not his wife. His bride, it's yeah. His bride. <laughs> it's his bride. It's his bride. My bride. Yeah, after, you know, after your family, I tell I tell you what, you know, I'm well, I, I'm definitely passionate about about Roust. I mean, it's that that's that's all I I think about. I mean, I lose sleep over it now. But um, I, yeah, you know, what is we, it? What tell us what Roust is? Well, let me tell you about music first. Okay. So I, you know, I definitely um, was burnt out. You know, like probably for a, you know, so I I started to transition myself out of. You know, my main gig, my full time every day, all day, all night, all weekend, never ending gig uh, in 2010. And in 2011, we wrapped up all the Haste Today stuff. And, um, you know, and I started inserting myself back into the matrix, so to speak. And so, you know, there was probably a period of about two to three years where I just couldn't go to a concert because I would go and instead of listening to music and enjoying it, I would analyze this production cost this, you know, the merch is, you know, going to cost this and blah, blah, and this yeah. is how many tickets. You know, and so I'd go and like, like literally I would just see dollar signs and I would be processing in my brain. And so it was very difficult for me to separate that. And and even even to a degree, I still go through that. Like, I mean, it, I joke around, but like my wife and I'll go to, you know, a show at the amphitheater or something like that. And I'll be like, yeah, so average ticket price, 50 bucks, 26,000 people here. Merchandise is probably, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. And so I still do the, the calculations in my brain, but it's, it's definitely, um, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it's definitely easier now for me to just go and just be a fan, um, which is good, right? So um, yeah. I guess, you know, it's funny. I was a guy that used to work for me a while ago. He and I were exchanging some text messages the other day before Hey Today's show here in Indianapolis. And he was asking me about, you know, how excited I was for the gig. I'm like, I'm, I'm excited, but I'm also relieved that this is almost done. And, you know, he was like, yeah, I guess, I guess in time, all things become work. And really that's, you know, that's what it boiled down to. It was like, at the end of the day, it was like, I love what I was doing. I was hundred percent, 110 percent behind the bands that I, I was supporting. And in fact, it was very emotional for me to make the decision to actually get out. Cause it's not like the well was drying up. I actually felt a clear and defined call from God that it was time to move on from music. And, 
Um, and I don't feel like it's lame or cheesy to say that in this context, but, you know, because uh, you guys all understand that. But, um, you know, it was definitely time to move on. And that was definitely a point where, it, like, it was becoming more of a, of a chore for me. So yeah, I, I, I love music. I don't, listen, I don't listen to heavy music anymore, though. You know, I, I, I do. But, you know, I'd rather listen to the Steely Dan Pandora station. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I'm the same way as you, Mark. Like you said, you were going to shows and you were just analyzing it and thinking about it. When I listen to records even, that I do that. That's what kind of sucks is I, I think, oh, why did they make this decision to do this with this song or was this a decision? You know, like I, it's hard for me to view things from an artistic standpoint and the art of it, and I look at it from the business side. And it's just I hate that that I do that, but I naturally go there. So it, it, I, it's really funny. We've said this before, but – I loved music, and then I created a job out of that. And now I love talking and hanging out with my friends, and now I've created a job out of that. So I'm worried that like right, five right. or ten years from now, I won't, I'll be a recluse that lives in the middle yeah. of nowhere and not talk to anybody. So Where's Toby? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, tell us about Roust and your startup. This would be cool. I'd like to hear about this. Yeah, well, so Roust is a social network for people that are interested in talking about controversial subject matter. So our hope Interesting. is Interesting. Yeah, wow, weird. Right up our alley. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So our, our target is for pretty much anybody that posts that content on Facebook, you need to get it off Facebook and you need to bring it to Roust. So whether it's political, if it's religious, if it's something socially charged, whatever it might be, we are the home for that. Is it because when you post something on Facebook, even if it has like somewhat of a tone to it, or you assume that the people that you're right in your head that you're writing to your friends understand where you're coming from, but then your aunt gets on there and has no clue and is very upset or thinks you've gone crazy or d- misses the sarcasm entirely. Is it to solve that yeah, problem? That, well, it's definitely it's definitely part of that. I think the other part of it too is that you know as more and more people are getting engaged with other people using social media, we're starting to use social media in modes of of living, right? So you may be in the artistic mode and you want to take pictures of, of stuff, so you use Instagram, or you want to connect with family and friends, you want to see pictures of your nieces and nephews, you get on face, Facebook, you want to you know, look at your latest arts and crafts projects or get inspired to do arts and crafts, you get on Pinterest. You know, so for us, it's yeah. there's, a time, there's a time when you're like, you know what, I'm interested in talking about, you know, this subject or this subject and you want to get into those conversations and so that's that's what we're solving for is when you are in that mode you need to bring that conversation to our platform because the reality is is that the majority of people on facebook don't want to see it because they go to facebook in a different mode yeah and we see that complaints about that like everybody I i just can't believe how big the i guess really the demand that you're trying to uh to meet there is people complaining about how people complain on Facebook. That's even a popular thing. It's just like, oh, I can't believe, keep this stuff off of Facebook, or people never understand on here, or it's such a, a bad place to communicate your opinions and stuff like that. But clearly people have the desire to communicate their opinions and hear them from other people. So there's got to be a better a better way. Yeah, there's got to be a better way. And so, you know, for us, it's you know, first of all, it's creating that, that space for you to be able to do that, um, giving you a fresh start. So you can go to Rouse and you can connect with the people that you know want to want to have those conversations. Um, so you know you don't have to connect with your employer or your employees or your customers or your aunt uh, or, or other people that are going to get sideways if you start talking about you know uh, you know something controversial. I mean, pick. I mean, just pick a topic. I mean, I bet you yeah. we could go back to your podcasts and pull a handful of topics out that be right at home on on Roust. And so and that's the point. You know, it's so what I what I like to do to try and you know, break it down is, you know, it's like the dating sites. So, you know, in the nineties we had eHarmony and match.com and now we've got like a thousand of them. Right. And so you could go to eHarmony and match.com and you could check the box for, I'm interested in Christian women, or you could go to christianmingle.com, a place that's just like that, but it's designed specifically for meeting Christians. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what we're doing. You could talk about politics. You could create a private group. You could do something like that on Facebook, or you could go to the place that's designed specifically for that. So I think that, you know, this concept of niching your social media is, is not new. In fact, I think it's quite prevalent. Is it, is it, I mean, how is this different or better than just uh, forums or Reddit or something like that? Well, you know, I mean, Reddit is, is, is daunting and, um, is, I mean, the problem with Reddit is that, you know, you're, you're just connected to the entire, uh, the entire network of people. And those people could be, 
any number of people. You, you, I mean, you, you never really know who's on Reddit. In fact, I th- you know, the culture of Reddit is to not allow your actual mm-hmm. person to be associated with your, your, your persona on Reddit so that there's that level of anonymity. Yeah. And so what we, what we, what we want to do, I mean, we've, we've simplified it, right? We've, we've tried to reduce all the barriers here that you can create an account simply by just logging in with your Facebook, your Twitter, your LinkedIn, or your Discuss account. Or, you, or if you wanted to, you could create an account with, your, with an email and password. Yeah. But, you know, you, you want to be able to connect with people that you know so that you, know, you can sort of control the variables. So, like, I don't want to just get on to, you know, on to Reddit, you know, and identify as myself or somebody, not me, and try to have a serious conversation. Because, you know, in, like, two seconds, you're going to be trolled. Yeah. And at least in this, in this yeah. scenario, you know, in a you private really setting. Exactly. And even if you way. tried... To, right. And, and so even if you want to try and create a, a persona that's not associated with, you know, it's not tied to who you are, you could do that, but you're going to have a hard time connecting with your friends until you identify yourself. Because, well, we want to you know, get, want we to want to help you do this. I'm interested in doing it. Would it be, would it work for a bad Christian? Like, would we have our own group or forum? Cause I'd lo- like to get you some users. I don't know where you're at, if it's in beta or if it's available to people, but can we try it out? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys could create a bad Christian account and then people could connect specifically to you. Uh, and then you'd be able to, to, you know, have these discussions and share information and connect and discuss and all that good stuff um, in, a, in a much better way than you can on Facebook. Absolutely. Is it ready to go now? Are you trying to sign so up right users now, as we speak? So right now what, what we've got is we've, we're allowing people to basically request their invite. So you can save your spot in line and then we're notifying people as their invitations are available. Um, so right now we're, we're actually bringing in our first batch of about 100 people just to test and, uh, and that'll be, we'll be in that phase probably for about two to four weeks. And then we will start actually bringing in people in mass. So, um, so yeah, so, I mean, if you, if you are, if you're listening and you want to create an account, we will have a, you know, we can create a, a bad Christian page where you can go and you can request your, uh, your invitation and, uh, you know, we'll let you in first hundred percent. Sounds good. Go to badchristian.roust.community. We'll have a page there set up specifically for bad Christian listeners and uh, blog readers and all that good stuff. Just go in there, put your email address in, and um, we'll send you a confirmation so that you can confirm your email address, and then you will be in line. And then we will start uh, inviting you first so that you can get on the platform and connect with other bad Christian fans and uh, get this party started. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do that. Thank you for telling us about that, Mark. Uh, good luck with I- Roust. Yeah, well, the other thing is, how did you get that name? I thought all one-word names like .coms are taken. Was that hard to do? Well, so so roused, it, it actually means to cause somebody to get up and get moving, yeah. to, to, to stir somebody into, into action. And so that's, you know, that's really our goal. So, so, you know, it's funny. It's a common question. You know, people ask, well, what's your, what's your hope with roused? Well, my hope is that we can get the conversations that need to be had um, into a place where they're welcome. So that people can start diving into things that are difficult. So, you know, is God real? Should Rand Paul be president? You know, what about gay marriage? You know, what about, you know, the taxation? What about the war in Iraq? What's going, you know what I mean? Whatever it might be, pressing issues that people need to be, we need to be talking about this. And how did you get Rouse.com though? We didn't. We got (laughs) Rouse.community. Ah, I see. (laughs) Very good. So Rouse.com, if you go there, you're going to go to a Russian liquor site. So don't go there. <laughs> oh, I see, I see, I see. A Russian right. liquor site. <laughs> yeah, if you want to, you know, vodka and the like. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, that could be a pretty cool site to visit. Y'all could, so, y'all yeah, could, you know, <laughs> y'all could diversify with that. <laughs> all right. Hey, yeah. hey, we have so, uh, are we ready to do some yeah, questions? Yeah, well, y'all got questions. Let's got- do some questions. Mark, you can hang in. We'll do some of our listeners' uh, famous bad questions. Yep, we have some bad questions. <laughs> um, and these are we we asked our folks to uh, send in questions that were related to the music industry. So I thought this was really good, and especially having Mark on here. So uh, I'm going to read these a little bit out of order because I kind of want to um, read ones that I think are best first. Um, this comes from Elizabeth, <clears throat> and uh, Mark, I'll let you answer this one first. She says, I am not a musician, but I think that I have a good ear for music and potentially uh, helping successful uh, make a band successful. 
a little bit paraphrasing there, making a band successful. Um, what is the best way to get into the music business side of things? And should I even try to DIY sign or promote bands? What do you think about that in, in this day and age, Mark? Uh, well, I, you know, I think that if you're interested in the business of music, I think the best place to start is picking up Donald Passman's book, All You Need to Know About the Music Industry, and read it two to three times through. Highlight the stuff that is really interesting to you, and then try to focus on those on those areas. So, you know, you don't know if you're going to want to do concert promotion until you try it. You don't know if you're going to want to yeah. do artist development until you try it. Um, but, you know, having an understanding of just the business of music, I think, is a good place to start. Is it hard with startup costs or anything like that? Like, like thinking about you and you telling us you got into promotion, like where in the hell did you get the money to bring in a band into well, Indianapolis or wherever? So the first show that I did that I actually, you know, I had money on the line. I pieced together a bill because there's a bunch of bands going to Cornerstone. So I did a band called NIV, a band called Disciple, and another band hey, called The Deal. Them. What was yeah, the third NIV, one? I'm sorry. Uh, the Deal. Oh, yeah, I, I remember, remember The those. Deal. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I overpaid for all of them, but I was I I approached that from the angle of the fan as opposed to the angle of the businessman. Right. And so I, I probably lost about six, seven hundred bucks on that show. And uh, and it's funny, you know, my mom is is an entrepreneur, and that's actually where I think I I got it from. And so I remember she was like, "So how'd your how'd your event go?" And I was like, "Ah, you know, it was all right. Lost about six hundred bucks." And so she wrote me a check for three hundred bucks, and she's like, "Well." you know, I'm going to contribute to that, to your first, you know, big entrepreneurial endeavor. And so that was, kind of, that was, you know, that was the start. So that's awesome. Get ready to lose money if you want to promote a concert. Yeah. The, what <laughs> My question on this girl, Elizabeth, it doesn't sound like she's saying she has anything other than she likes music. So I, I, on another hand, I would say what, you know, people want to just take their hobby and make it something and, and make it into a bigger deal than it is. But it sounds like yeah. it's Elizabeth's hobby to me, not her business. Because, yeah, you know, you kind of need to be a little farther down the road with some more specific before you take any kind of financial leaps. I would say. Well, that's why I think you should start with reading the book. So you know, you, the 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 fan. I mean, you all, we all start off as fans, right? And so yeah. whether you you know you decide to take the leap into being a musician or take the leap into being a businessman, you know, in music, uh, we all start off as fans. At least you should. And so I think that the first the first question you have to ask, you have to be able to answer is well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, if you have, if you're just a fan of music and you don't know how to answer that question, well, then you need to get an understanding of all the aspects of the business. And that's why I think the Passman book is, is, you know, is critical uh, because you get an understanding of what does a record deal look like? How do bands make money? You know, what is, what are copyrights? What is publishing? You know, talk about touring. What about digital rights and digital distribution? What about merchandising? You know, and you get an understanding. It's a very granular glimpse, but um, you get a very, a very, good understanding of the business and then I think that'll help you at least get an idea of okay these are different aspects of the business and so then you could start to explore a little in a little more focused manner yeah I, yeah, I think I think one thing I'd want to say too is regardless of if it's a band and, and I liked how earlier Mark you said that a band is a startup that, that, that's pretty true these days I think that's a good way of, of saying that about a band but I think people need to be ready to lose some money. Like I think you really actually have to lose some money to go. Oh, this this is what it means. Like I think if you uh, only like if your first gig you would have made a ton of money, then you would have thought it would have always been like that. Like that actually happened with Emory, and I've, I've talked to a few different people. Um, and it, that that happens where like our first record did really good and our second record did, did even better and we thought oh it's just always going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and then our third record didn't I mean it still did well but not as good as the others and I was like oh wait this is the real world like it, it's kind of never take for granted that when you lose money or you go big on something and it it somewhat fails that that's not a stepping stone to what will work because you like you probably learned a ton from that first show. Like, I mean, it was great that your mom kind of helped you and bailed you out a little bit and gave you some money and stuff like that. But you learned, hey, don't overpay because that comes out of your pocket. You learned, hey, even though I right. love these bands, it might not be the best for me to bring them in or something like Like, you learn a lot from that. So failure isn't necessarily – and losing money isn't necessarily the uh, – or, or just making money shouldn't be your only goal. Like, it, for, for Elizabeth, I actually think – the key would be, do you like this? Like you said, what do you want to be? Like, if you love it, even if you lose money, sometimes you'll still love it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it shouldn't be about yeah. just making the money. Yeah, well, let me ask I, you, right. Let me ask you guys this. Um, 
Tyler Hoagland wants to know, do you, and I think this is a pretty interesting question, do you search out new talent or do you wait for it to show itself? Well, you know how many people think that you butcher their last names? You said Hoagland. How do you spell that? H-O-A-G-L-A-N-D. That's a pretty good guess. Hoagland. Piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, here's I have a, a, a new <laughs> I have a new intern in music uh, that I'm working with now, and so he's just now Is starting. Is this Brett the engineer he's or not? not our engineer, Brett. Oh, yeah. So Brett the engineer does hey, music too. Are we gonna get to hear from Brett the engineer? I mean, nobody's ever heard of Brett the engineer. Brett, can you even talk into the mic? Does or Brett what? the engineer know Bob the Builder? Hold on, wait, wait, are Brett. They friends? Brett, are you? Can you talk into a mic? Brett the engineer. He's shaking his head no. Well, he's a shitty engineer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, what was what was Hoagland's question? Uh, he asked, well, first of all, I want you to apologize. I am so sorry. You are the master. Thank you, Pastor Joey. <laughs> do you search out new talent or do you wait for it to show itself? In that, sports, I you go search for the new talent. I was answering that question um, yesterday because we have a new intern that was that was saying, okay, so I'm here, I'm ready to go. So, you know, what's the job going to be like? Am I just going to be like look, listening to music all day and telling you what's good, basically? Like, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> you'll just be reading emails and typing numbers back and forth. That's all this is going to be. There's not, like, it's not like we we listen to hundreds of bands a day and are, you know, going yeah. to shows every day, and that's the job. That's not the job at all. In fact, almost every body you wind up working with, you already have a connection to somehow or another, whether you know them personally or they develop as a, a, a relationship from another relationship down the line or you, or you have some connection. Right. And usually people that have stuff going on that are not just talented, but they also have stuff going on and already doing work. So it's very, very little amount of time is spent in the music business, whether it be a manager or a label, of cert, like doing searching and listening and evaluating and guiding the talent like on their art like those things are that's what everybody thinks when they're trying to get in the music business is they're just going to sit down with the band and like talk about stuff and go through a bunch of bands and stuff but it's very very little of that it's actually you know sadly I, so if that discourages people maybe that's that's a good thing but it's mostly come working on inventory numbers and stuff like that yeah it's not glamorous so sorry, I, and I, you know, again i yeah, I and I go I you know, I just always go back to, you know, my previous statement that is if if everyone could make money doing it, everyone would do it. And yeah. so I think that, you know, yeah, for sure. you got to you got to figure out what you're passionate about. You know, you got to figure out what what you enjoy doing and, you know, focus on doing what you and what you enjoy and then, you know, the money the money stuff will figure itself out. All right, let's All get right, we I got, got a, a little I got bit a more good, time and then we got to yep. go. So, let's get some more questions right. in. I at least want to get a couple more in, but th- I thought this one was good because Mark is from one side and we're from the other. Kim Clark asks, "How important is it to get a manager and what or how do they get paid?" How do you get so, paid, Mark? And and how important uh, is it to have a manager, Mark? Well, so I think that it, it depends on the uh on the musician, number one, but I, you know, I think that a manager is is uber uber important. Like, I think oh that if my god, come bullshit. on! I think that if you, uh, <laughs> I think that if you're if you if you want to have a um, if you want to be able to focus on the music and focus on you know your craft and things like that, then you should have somebody that understands and has a well rounded perspective of the business to help you with the business. Yeah. So so there's there's a book I, I like to refer to. It's called The E Myth. And, uh, and it's about this idea of becoming an entrepreneur. It's by this guy's name is Michael Gerber. You read one of early, a lot of books. I try to. But what yeah. about the and Bible, so though? Cold bust. Oh. <laughs> no, go ahead oh, and tell us about <laughs> other books besides the Bible, Mark. <laughs> so, so one of the things that, you know, that Michael Gerber talks about early on in the book is this idea of the entrepreneurial seizure. It's this moment in time when the entrepreneur you know, that makes widgets, you know, finally decides I can no longer make widgets for the widget maker, for the widget factory, right? Because I'm really good at making widgets. So I'm going to go off on my own and start my own widget making business. And so that person quits their job and they go off and like, screw it, I'm going to make widgets on my own. But what they find out very quickly is that the business of making widgets is far different than making widgets itself. So now all of a sudden you've got to worry about marketing and sales and accounting and business development, manufacturing and supply chain and all this other stuff. And I think that, you know, you can be really good at a handful of things, but you can't be great at everything. And so from, from the musician's perspective, you may have a good idea about, you know, 
the how to find shows or networking or how you want to market your band or you know certain things like that but there's no way that you're going to be able to run your business the best that you can all on your own so at some point you got to find somebody that can book your shows at some point you got to find somebody that can create additional opportunities from for you at some point you need to bring somebody in that's got relationships far beyond your network of relationships that they can leverage on your behalf there's actually an article that came out recently i can't remember who it was I wish I could remember it, but I think it's from you know, the they basically post. Yeah, I'm sure, or the Daily Cause, right? And I think that um, the onion. you know, basically what they were saying was that you know, look at the number of of pop stars today that fired their first manager, the manager that got them to where they are, and then see what happened to their careers. And there's an interesting correlation between the managers that that were there from the beginning yeah. and the rise to stardom and success, and and then after the fact. And I, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. All right, Matt, you're from the band side. What do you think? Well, for the record, we do have a good manager. His name's Jason Malhoy. We have a, more of a custom deal. Non, we've never really done the now, traditional Now, is he our manager. first manager? We've been with him forever? Um, let me think. Oh, we must have had dozens of others. I can't <laughs> recall. <laughs> but the, the, the other part of that is, is one, of the, one of the things, and that is how do you get paid? That, that's always been one of the, the main problems we've had with management is, is disagreeing on what the way they should get paid and how they should be motivated. So traditionally, and I don't know, Mark, how you, how you think about this, but traditionally it's the manager gets paid off the top on a gross amount of income. So yeah. it might be 15% of gross. So in the case of us, I'd always use in the classic example is we once did a tour where we grossed $140,000. We spent $120,000 and our managers got 20-something thousand dollars. And we just all split up you know what and that was after then after we paid them it was basically nothing left if so there was yeah. $5000 we split and that just is not that never sat well with us so we've always been searching to put everything on a profit basis so we do that with our label now we do that with our management now we try to motiv- motivate everybody on unconventional structures where everybody is paid uh with the same motives like after after all the expenses are done everybody's co-motivated has the same uh, bottom line, and then you then you split up the money, whatever percentage you want to, you know that way. But everybody's on the same page that way. So that's what we've always let, strived for. Well, let me ask you this: like, I, I'm just curious. That tour, did you guys take a bus? Yes, yes. We yeah, did. we and, did everything. And, and I think that, like, yeah. And so, and I think that, you know, I think that that's that's the point. So it's like you can be smart with your money, right? And you can make way more profit. And I'm not saying taking a bus is a bad idea, but like if you're wanting to maximize the amount of cash that you're going to get out of a tour, then you don't go you don't go on a tour in a bus. Right, you don't but need the, a bus, but the right? manager's point of view was we want this band to have the highest profile and look the best, and we want them to be in a bus. It wasn't us saying we need a bus. It was them saying you should be in a bus. You need a lighting rig. You need a lighting director. It was twelve hundred dollars or twelve hundred a week or something like that for the lights yeah. you're renting, and six hundred for the guy to run them and stuff like that that made us so, look good and put us in a better position. And none of none of those financial decisions like they weren't motivated to get a better deal on lights other than to make us happy. It didn't affect. Their bottom line, whether they got a good deal on the lighting rental, for instance, that's always sat weird. Well, well, and what's interesting about that is that so number one, it's just like when you do a deal, right? You have responsibilities. So you, as the artist, you have you, even though you hire the staff to manage this for that for you, you have a you have a fiduciary responsibility still as the artist. You need to be concerned with how much money you're going to make. So even if your manager says you should do something, you should still feel comfortable mm-hmm. and should have the ability to push back on that. So that's the first thing I would say. That the second did you just thing, call us douches. Yeah, what did you, you say? About did. Douche, yeah. douche baggery. Yeah, but douche. Kind of it's not even healthy to do. Really, they <laughs> thought so in the '80s, but it's yeah. not healthy. Not really healthy. <laughs> Listen, Massengill. So here's so here, here's the uh, here's the other side of that too. You know, I think that from the from the manager's perspective. The, if you have a if you have a manager that's concerned with a the longevity of your career and b the longevity of their relationship with you throughout the duration of your career, then they need to be thinking about how they can make make you the most money as well. So in that situation, you know I would have never suggested take a bus, do all this stuff. I would say yeah. how do we have the highest impact that we can on tour, and how do we make you guys the most money, knowing that my motivation is to get you guys the most gross revenue from that tour, but at the same time, I want to also get you guys the most gross profit 
Because if you guys can come home and you can afford to buy five pairs of diesel jeans and you can go to Qdoba every day when you're home, then that's a big win because you're going to feel like a rock star. Yeah. So like that's, that's going to be my goal. Now, and then beyond that, you know, if you've got a manager that can, that can help you make good you know, investment decisions with your money, so you're not just buying diesel jeans, but rather you're saving money so you can buy a house or whatever, you know, that's, that's even better. So, yeah. Um, all right, last question. Joey, you got, you got one last question for us? Yeah, what is the worst? This is from Eric Davis. Hey, Eric, how you doing, buddy? Hey, buddy. What's the worst story of getting ripped off in the business, whether it's a venue, merch a company, question. record label, worst you've ever gotten screwed? And I, I guess that could go to any of y'all. Hmm. I know what ours is. Um, but I, you're not at liberty. You're no. not at liberty to. Speak you mean intentionally no, screwed? Like somebody did something to us? Stole? Yeah. From someone us or said like basically behind closed doors, I'm going mm-hmm. to screw Matt, and then they did it. Oh, intentionally got screwed. Yeah, um, intentionally, not unintentionally. That wouldn't be interesting. There's been several times where we showed up and played a great show, and a promoter at the show didn't want to. You know, we showed up, we did our part of the bargain, and they didn't want to fulfill their end of the bargain, and it got kind of ugly or something like that. Like it's really tough for bands to show up at a show, and then the promoter is new or fresh and doesn't know what they're doing or something like that, and they don't have the money for you or something like that. Like you, you're counting on that. You drove all that way. You're putting on. You, you're fulfilling your end of the deal and all that stuff. So I think sometimes like that. And then I would say there was. One time where we went on a tour and we lost a lot of money talking about management, and it ended up happening where we did not realize what the case was. And we thought, we, I guess overall, one thing for us with management in the past has been we thought, hey, they have our backs. They're checking out our financials. They're planning our help, helping us make right decisions on the tour, and that didn't happen. And we lost a lot of money on a tour, like thousands upon thousands of dollars and then we had to make that up because we still had like tax bills to pay and uh mortgages and all kinds of stuff to pay so but we that, haven't ever our, been stolen from so or screwed in that sense so that's a good news and most of the music yeah, business true. is pretty self-regulating I, like if, I, if there's anybody that's a, a rat or a thief or something like that they usually get weeded yeah. out by the the larger business yeah i don't so. think there's anybody that intentionally ever did anything to us like that you know what i mean like hey i'm gonna screw these guys i don't think that's happened mark i don't know if that's happened in your in your world uh, I'm trying, you know, I'm sitting here trying to think of a, a couple of, th- so the, the one story, the one thing that comes to mind is, um, there's this, I, and I don't know if I should even name the guy, but I could name him. Um, we did a CD release show, the first CD release show for the Haste Today EP and or actually, no, excuse me. It wasn't for their CD release show. There was another band that came out of the area that was managed by a guy from Ohio we're going to just sort of go that far. And he wanted Haste Today to headline their CD release show because he knew that in Carmel, Indiana, we'd have 500 kids out instantaneously. And so we said, sure. He said that he wanted everybody through the door to be able to get a CD and all that kind of stuff. And we had worked out terms as far as what the band was going to get, but what we would pay the band and all that kind of stuff. And uh, this is one of my first tough lessons that I learned as a young manager. You know, we didn't have anything in writing uh, about how the, the details were going to go other than we were going to pay the band a certain amount of money. So come the end of the night, you know, he had his people run the door and do all that kind of stuff, which we didn't have any, we didn't take any issue with. I was like, yeah, that's fine. You guys can, you know, run the door or whatever. We know what the terms are. Because essentially they were booking us to headline the gig, essentially. Right. So we're like, yeah, that's fine. And so what happened at the end of the night, he came back. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the cost of the CD is a cost of the show. So we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna pay you a percentage before the cost of the CD. And I said, well, hold on a second, it's not a cost of the show, you know, that was never agreed upon. And so we ended up in this situation at the end of the night where, you know, he's holding on the ca- all the cash, and you know, unless I wanted to get into an altercation with him and take the money, um, you know, we weren't gonna get paid what we should have gotten paid. So you know, I remember we had like there was probably six, six or seven thousand dollars generated from the door. Oh, on on my band's back, and I think we walked out of there with like you know thousand bucks or eight hundred fifty bucks or something like that. Oh no! So I remember, I remember that, and so I, you know, to this day, I remember, I never forgot him, and and this is how the business works. You know, it's not vindictive; it's just all right. You just made it onto the blacklist, and so anybody that any of his clients that ever came across the submission list or whatever, I was just like, no, sorry, 
You're never yeah. like you. We will never do business with anybody that has anything to do with this person. So Uh-oh. that's my story. Way to bum us out, yeah, man! Right here at the out, end, Mark. I appreciate it. Well, do you, you want to tell a good story? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. Hey, no, well, well, how did, the, how did, how did this last? Uh, yeah, how did these last dates for Haste the Day go? I, They're I, awesome. I kept seeing them all over social media. It looked like they were really great. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, it was really, really neat to be able to, uh, you know, put out a record and and do it pretty much on our own terms, and then yeah. play some gigs and Everybody get the old the men end. out of the house. No, <laughs> no. Hey, you know, it's funny, man, because it's like it, it was probably the band's last show. Maybe I mean I don't know. You know, you never know. And we learned that lesson, right? So we had the last right. show in 2011, and everybody cried. Because we're like, I can't believe it. This, this is it. And then, you know, everybody's like, we're never going to play another show again, show again. And then, you know, we did this little Burning Bridges, you know, 10-year anniversary deal. And then that kind of got, you know, sort of sparked a little something. And then the guy's like, well, maybe we could play it. And so then we, you know, we just went down that rabbit hole of doing yeah. this whole stinking thing. And, and here we are, you know, playing four more shows. And you can't really come out and be like, no, really, guys. Really, no, I'm serious this time. This one is the last one. Right. Especially when, you know, you're not sure. So I think at the end of it, it was just like, this was awesome. And this was a great experience and very humbling that so many people still care. And, uh, and it was awesome, you know. And so there weren't any tears. There was just a lot of, wow, man, I wish we could do this again, you yeah. know, and then that's sort of it and everybody's back to babies and work yeah for us whenever yeah. we play a show and then after the show i tell toby toby this is not our last show he then begins to cry yeah that's when i actually <laughs> cry and i get really sad <laughs> well you're 50 now aren't you i'm 53 years old yes i am i am i'm 53 oh, I... years old and i love you know i was talking to somebody today it was really funny there's a guy uh goes to our church and i was just talking to him about there is nobody in the screamo genre that is 39 years old and just still kicking it. Like, I, I'm a lone wolf out here, I think. Like, I, I mean, who else is my age and still doing there's it? There's some like, hardcore I just, people that are old, but I don't think Yeah, yeah, no, no, they, they, right, right. There's some hardcore bands. and yeah, I mean, there's people, but still, honestly, I still don't even know if those people are touring as regularly as Emory sure. is. I mean, I, I, would, I am I blown away that we can do this. You're you're a delicacy, you know. You're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're vintage. You're you're rare. I'm yeah. delicious. That's what oh, I yeah. am. If you, if you had delicious. a baseball card, I would have that behind plastic. <laughs> yeah, that's. I am a relic. Is what I am. I'm a relic. Yeah, I need to be put behind plastic or glass and and not messed with too much because I'm brittle and, and can break. But anyway, all right, all right Mark. Mark thank we, you, man. Yeah. we enjoyed it very much, and thank you guys for the questions today. They were good. It sure was Thanks. meeting you. For, good meeting you for the first time. Yeah, for the second time. It was nice to talk to you again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, man. Good talking to you, Mark. See you. You too.